Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Chad, look at the time. Just like that, the final hour is here. Friday edition of Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. To Matt, across from us, and everyone else in here who said we couldn't do it, we made yeah. it. Well, we almost made it. We're, we're one hour away. Matt wants everyone to know there's still an hour left. We're so close. Yeah. Matt said, hey, don't, don't go celebrating just yet. You guys still have an hour left before you've made it. One state, we're about to be joined by Dr. David Chow, pro football doc. There is a state, Chad, trying to make the Monday after the Super Bowl a holiday. Um, and we're sitting in What it. state is that, Hutton? We're sitting in the state, the volunteer state of Tennessee. Super Bowl Monday uh, would be a state holiday. I would say you know, the biggest hurdle for it, the biggest hurdle for Super Bowl Monday being a holiday where you don't work is the flexibility of, what is it, President's Day? President's Day, I think, is it, the issue. President's Day, you flex most of the time corporate-wide. If you, if you work, the, work the President's Day, you can flex it to the Friday after Thanksgiving if you don't have that day. Or you make it a long weekend and you take... You well, know, you Wednesday, can flex Thursday, either Friday. one now, right? I mean, I guess theoretically. <clears throat> well, not if it's not, not on the company calendar. I got you. I got you. Yeah, if it's a company not based in Tennessee. Right. But our state and Tennessee is trying to get it right and make that a holiday. So if it's a Tennessee-based company, I wonder if the flex plan would work if you were working out of the state of Tennessee for a Tennessee-based company. And I mean, saying, hey, Super my, Bowl Monday, my we're company working. acknowledges this. You know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. But the... But the uh, you know, the mail, will the mail run? That's what I want to know. Well, here's what I would also like to know. Is there any true laborer, someone who's an employee of someone else, that would not be all for this? We're going to work no matter what, so it's not doesn't right, matter yeah. for us. We're going to be talking about the Super Bowl the day after the Super Bowl, but unless you own a company and are wanting production from your workers, <laughs> right. this Which is, is probably, pretty easy. You're this probably is, already losing production, though, right? This is an easy bill to float for your constituency. Yeah if you're a politician, to get behind, is my point. I think it's going to have pretty universal appeal unless you are the employer. Unless you're... In, exactly. Then there's the issue. Dr. David Chow joins us, pro football doc and OutKick contributor. Great to have you on. Hope things are well. Doing fine. Thanks for having me. I caught the tail end of that. I'm for any and all holidays. There you <laughs> I feel Same. like if you're in politics, Dr. Chow, that you could very easily just start pushing bills across about holidays you want to present, and you could become very popular that way, right? Sounds good to me. <laughs> Patrick Mahomes says that there were no setbacks in the AFC Championship game, that it's a pain tolerance issue at this point with the high ankle sprain. What has this process been like from what you've observed, what you've heard, what he said, and what's this week been like for him in anticipation for getting to Arizona and playing in Super Bowl 57? Yeah, I mean, the previous week was quite the roller coaster, right? I mean, oh my gosh, here's his ankle. Oh, he stayed in the game. No big deal. Uh, oh my gosh, he went to the locker room. He, he's done. Oh my gosh, he's back. But oh my gosh, he didn't play. And then, But then he came back in the second half. 
you know, we wrote about it at OutKick through Sports Injury Central, et cetera. And what we said all along is there's no question this is a high ankle sprain. And then, heck, on Monday when reporters said it was a high ankle sprain, the line flipped and moved. <laughs> Look, not all high ankle sprains are the same. Uh, and there's different degrees. There have been five quarterbacks this season with high ankle sprains. One has played through, now two, and the others have missed some time. But, but no offense to some of the other quarterbacks. When you're Mac Jones and you have a high ankle sprain and you're 70% healthy, Bailey Zappi gets the start. When you're Patrick Mahomes and you're 70% healthy, you're starting in the AFC Championship game over Chad Henney. Now, did he run the ball? No, not at all, except that one four-yard run at the end there that was very key and he got the penalty. But what we said all along is he could be mobile enough in the pocket and he has the arm strength to be able to throw. And he's one of these unicorns. All the time he wrong foot throws, throws off his left foot, jump throws, changes his arm angles. And that's kind of what helped him be effective with his injury. His mechanics were off, but to him, his mechanics don't matter that much. We don't think he aggravated it. We came into the last game, conference championship game, saying his Sports Injury Central 6 score is 84, 84 out of 100. And 326 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, 105-4 quarterback rating, I think is 84% of Patrick Mahomes. Imagine if he's 100. Now, he's not fully healthy. He won't be fully healthy for the Super Bowl. But he'll get halfway there between now and the next two weeks. So I'm not really worried about the health of Patrick Mahomes. Of course, you could always get it landed on wrong and re-aggravated. You mentioned he can get halfway there over the next two weeks. What would the course of care look like in this two-week period? Because the moment the Chiefs won, Doctor, the first thing I'm thinking is, what is the next two weeks going to look like for Patrick Mahomes? How much healthier can he get for that Super Bowl? What would, what would that look like, the process to get ready for this game? The, the Chiefs medical staff has done a great job, but you know, uh, I've had the fortune of working as a host physician at two Super Bowls. I never have worked as a team physician as a Super Bowl. But what my colleagues always tell me is that there are some magical healing powers in that off week before the Super Bowl. Everyone's lobbying to play and be healthy. And, uh, you know, it's an all-in game. So lots of rehab, uh, STEM, you know, uh, uh, hands-on table rehab. Uh, look, I think he's going to be fine. Like his 84, we're going to put it at about 91. You know, uh, he's going to get better and better. Going into the game against the Bengals, everyone was talking about Mahomes, and we kept saying, we're more worried about the Bengals' offensive line health than Patrick Mahomes. And that obviously worked out to be the case with the five sacks, a bunch of holding penalties, 12 quarterback hits, et cetera. Uh, and in the end, that probably was the biggest difference in the game. Have you noticed any lingering issues with the shoulder of Jalen Hurts in the game since he's returned? Well, do I think he's 100% where he feels nothing? No. Do I see any lingering issues on the field or otherwise? No. It's something he's healthier than Patrick Mahomes. Now, people are going to point to, well, he didn't run the ball. He's afraid of contact. He's still hurting based on the 49er game. But if you look at the pass rush of the 49er game, it was a contained pass rush. They were going to let Jalen Hurts beat him. Greg Olson singled out during the broadcast, look at Fred Warner. He's staying put. He's staying put. Why? Because he's saying, I'm making sure our scheme is that Jalen Hurts isn't going to beat us with the RPOs. So he didn't really run the ball. 
And then they had a big lead in the second half, and he probably was told, don't risk it. That doesn't mean his shoulder's not healthy. I think his SC joint is fine. Uh, you've heard my confidence about Patrick Mahomes. I'm more confident about Jalen Hurts being healthy than Patrick Mahomes. And, and in front of him, the offensive line, what, what do you think of the status of Lane Johnson? And uh, among the topics with the, the officials last weekend, many fans were observing, oh, it looks like he's a false start every play. Lane Johnson was one of those they were pointing out. How much of that is due to the injury and the fact that he's going against Nick Bosa? Lane Johnson was our biggest worry last week and will be our biggest worry for the Super Bowl. Remember, he has a core muscle injury that needs surgery and he's trying to play through. So kudos to him. Lander Dickerson will be fine. That's a hyperextended elbow. That's been confirmed. He'll play with a brace. But you're right about the potential close to offsides. But why? He's going up against Nick Bosa, who's like a Jaguar, who's like basically horizontal to the ground trying to get around the edge and beat him. And he's, he can't get out there as quickly with the core muscle. So he jumps the snap count right the second that it is. Uh, I don't think he was offsides, but that's for referees and people to judge. But what happens next? He takes his, his pass set is at least a yard deeper than the left tackles because he really wants to get back there and get ready and cut off the angle for Nick Bosa. That was smart on his part because he knew about his injuries. But then what happens? At least a handful, if not 10 times, Nick Bosa actually knocks him a step or two back into towards the quarterback. And then it seemed like he stopped, like it was a contain rush. How many times do you see Nick Bosa knock a guy a step or two back and not finish the play? It it seemed like that was the scheme. Stay in your lanes and, and don't let Jalen Hurts beat you from running the ball. And I think that might have helped let Lane Johnson off the hook. I'm going to be very curious in the Super Bowl if that what the strategy is with the Chiefs, with Chris Johnson, who's pretty good at the bull rush, and Frank Clark, and where they line up. Uh, kudos to Lane Johnson for playing through. I think uh, Mecole Hardman has a core muscle injury too, and I think it's dubious that he'll play through, not because he's not tough, but a skill-speed position versus uh, someone on the offensive line. Dr. David Chow is the pro football doc, and he's also an OutKick contributor. Joins us on OutKick 360. Brock Purdy's elbow and the potential for Tommy John's surgery. What's the timeline with it and without it for recovery purposes? Uh, yeah, thanks for asking that question. It's quite a quarterback conundrum for the 49ers. And actually, we talk about it on the Pro Football Doc podcast hosted on OutKick, a lot of these topics. San Francisco's conundrum is this. They had three main quarterbacks on their roster, you know, uh, Brock Purdy, Trey Lance, and Jimmy G. The healthiest quarterback coming into this offseason is going to be Jimmy G coming off his broken foot. And it's pretty clear they don't want him back. The coach has said so. The second healthiest guy is Trey Lance, uh, a mobile quarterback, ankle fracture dislocation. In the next month or two, will return to OTAs in practice. But can you guarantee that he'll be 100% mobile? He may only be 85 or 90. You have to wait and see. And then finally, Brock Purdy, the leader in the clubhouse to be the starter, is having some sort of Tommy John repair, maybe not reconstruction, but it's still throwing elbow surgery. There is no guarantee that he'll be 100% in six weeks. Even if he is 100% in six weeks, He's still a young quarterback, not having any of the offseason program may be an issue. And what if he takes a little bit longer? 
if you're John Lynch in the 49ers, and I love John Lynch, he's a San Diegan, I'm glad he's a Hall of Famer, the whole deal. But that's got to be a lot of sleepless nights. You have a team loaded for bear to win the Super Bowl. The quarterback position through injuries let you down this year. Can you really afford to roll the dice and say, I'm going to go into next football season without 100% assurances of health at my quarterback spot? It's an interesting question and dilemma for John Lynch and the 49ers. The NFL changed its concussion protocol midseason, and now we learn that concussions were up this year 18%. Is that cause for concern, or is that part of the, the, the change that was made with the attention to the protocol? I think you're right. Attention to the protocol. The change to the protocol, I think, was very minor. It was really kind of always there. It just stated differently. Look, a lot of things when you notice, I mean, look, when 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 you have Jalen Hurts injured and Patrick Mahomes potentially injured, all you talk about is the quarterbacks. You forget about the offensive line, right? Mm-hmm. You forget about the defense and whatever. And I think part of it is attention because of Tua. But you know, we know what's gone. The country has gone through the last few years, and and I commented on it at Outkick and otherwise, and it's not being political. But a couple years ago, there were a lot of you got jacked hits, and social media never got excited about it. The number one target was COVID, 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 COVID. Now that COVID is no longer the number one target, we flip back to concussions and Tua and, and the targets and so forth. And so that awareness is part of it on part of players, self-reporting symptoms, on the part of referees, on the part of the, the spotters in the sky, on the part of the medical staff, on the part of the red hats. So I suppose it's not a huge surprise, but you know, we have to analyze the numbers. There may be just some statistical difference as well. Pro football doc, Dr. David Chow, Outkick contributor. Check out the podcast there as well. Thank you so much. Great perspective. And I'm sure we will we will cross paths in Arizona next week. I'll see you next week at Radio Road. That's yeah. great. Thank you guys. That's Love wonderful. to have you on. Thanks, yeah. Doctor. All right. Dr. David Chow, always a great guest, great perspective, and uh, a good perspective there on all the quarterbacks discussed. Coming up, we have we have a film to review. We have a two-pack of guests, too, in the next segment. Alejandro Avila is about to join us, and he is glowing, glowing about 80 for Brady. We'll find out why. Shocking. And, uh, yeah, it is stunning. I'm shocked. It is stunning. Uh, a masterpiece is what he called it in a text message to our Davey Hudson. Um, Stephanie Odie will also join us, Big Ten Network reporter, she will join us. We'll, we'll dive into a variety of topics around the conference and specific programs. That's next on OutK360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. 
Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Game's about to start. This Tom. Oh, oh, what a beautiful man. I like Gronkowski. We know, Trish. We've all read your Gronk erotica. It's not erotica. It's fan fiction. Very sexy fan fiction. Aren't you tired of the same old boring lives? Let's go to the Super Bowl. Well, the Super Bowl is no place for four old women. This could be Tom's last one. He's almost 40. That's like 80 in people years. Yeah, we're 80 in people years. I just really need this trip. Let's go! Oh my God, that's These are good. Very good. Oh, careful, they're high dosage. High dosage? Excuse me, I'm looking for someone. Are you okay? I'm Guy Fieri. Okay, 360 rolls on. That's uh, 80 for Brady as we uh, bring you back the trailer, the official trailer you're probably going to see on a loop for the next 10 days uh, leading up to uh, the Super Bowl. Alejandro Avila has seen this film. Uh, he called it a masterpiece in a text message to our producer, Davey Hudson. And I'll read from the column. I won't give all of it away. No spoilers for the full. You can uh, read the full column at OutKick.com. It is a love letter to 80 for Brady. The, the headline, 80 for Brady is a touchdown non-spoiler review. I feel like the, we saw the film. Oh, I'm sure uh, right there's there. crucial plot points he could give away. Yes. You, know, you don't want to spoil 80 those. for Brady is it's a like winner. It's like a Shyamalan movie. 80 for Brady. <laughs> You don't want to spoil That's that right. ending, Hutton. 80 for Brady's a winner. This movie as a whole was The Golden Girls mixed with The Hangover and all the sports scenes from Silver Linings Playbook. Uh, Alejandro, um, you had the biggest smile on your face as you're watching this trailer. You've already seen the film. You wrote this love letter. Yeah. And you're serious. Chad, Jonathan, thanks for having me. I will say that I had to push my second viewing of this film back an hour <laughs> to be here. So I'm so I'm fired up. I'm ready to defend it. And there's okay. there's no sarcasm with this review. In this economy, I can't say you can go out and spend fifteen dollars to watch a movie only for it to be like some grand joke. And I'm not I'm not that clever. Alejandro, I have to ask this question first. Have you seen movies before? <laughs> or is, was this like your uh, yeah, first I've ever movie you've actually movie. gone and watched in the theater? Yeah, no, it's uh, Ben-Hur, all that stuff. You know, it's good. So, okay, so here's... What were your expectations going in? You know ours are extremely low. In fact, so low, we don't plan on watching this movie. Um, oh, however, my mom will see it this weekend. Yeah, however, you went in with what expectation? Zero expectations. I didn't watch a trailer. I, I mean, there's a joke in the title that it's a non-spoiler review. This event already happened. So uh, Super Bowl 51 already happened. So there's not really much to spoil. But I went in just expecting an outlandish time. Um, with these four just Hollywood titans of these actresses, like to just do their best in this movie. It delivered on 
both of those plot points, outlandish, it's trying. And I, I got to say, there's a lot of content nowadays where it's like it's either depressing, like The Last of Us, or it's this like awards fodder that you leave after three hours in the cinema and you're thinking, why was it all worth it? 80 for Brady, 90 minutes. You know what you're getting. And it's a good time. I left with a smile on my face and I probably won't watch it again, but it's <laughs> made me sort of dwell on it very positively this morning. Chad, your thoughts. Did at any point, did you feel sorry for any of those Titans of Hollywood, those women <laughs> watching this movie and seeing what they were having to do in this film? Or was it always he just a good, fun feeling for you? Seeing these EGOT and award-winning actresses yeah. sort of just thirst for Tom Brady and Gronkowski, I was like, no, it's it's the GOAT and it's the GOATs. So it's this <laughs> sort of like connection that makes sense. And Chad, I know you had reposted the sort of seating diagram of my showing last night. Yep. And in the diagram, it was myself and this and this couple in the handicap handicap row. Um, of course. It's unfortunate that they did not show up. It was just myself in the theater. Wow. So there's that element that plays into it where I was just able to have fun. And if you watch it this weekend, you will feel that emotional connection with Tom Brady's basically saying goodbye this week. And again, I, you know what you're getting. It's, you won't regret watching it. And if you take your aunt or your mother to go see this, they'll thank you for it. I'll let my sister do that, but I appreciate the advice. That she's going to fall on the sword on this one and what, take my aunt and mom to see this movie. What is Tom Brady like in this film? He's serious. He knows what he's playing. He knows the playbook of this movie. Tom Brady? <laughs> he knows he's playing Tom Brady? That's a good start. Three, there's about 3 to 5% of the movie that's actually showing Tom Brady as Tom Brady. You, you get him in like bobblehead form. You get him on in TV form where he's talking to Lily Tomlin directly, which, you know, he holds his own. Um, but when you get Tom Brady, the guy, he really just he doesn't try to go over the top. He doesn't try to like undercook it. He just sort of delivers his lines with a, with, with enough on authenticity where I'm like, if you wanted to have some kind of career, you know, I could see it. So Sally Field told entertainment weekly that she ad libbed many of her lines in this to show that she was not in fact, 80 years old, hmm. that she's that a spry sense. woman yeah. in her seventies. Um, could you tell that she was ad libbing in this movie? Oh, definitely. Because again, if you know what you're getting, it's Sally Field just basically going, oh, and uh, like just reacting. There's, you could tell that there wasn't much of a script to it. And I mean, you know, it's the, the parts where it tries to pull the emotional notes out of the audience. I wasn't tearing up. I didn't feel a sort of <laughs> knot in my throat. But again, it does what it sets out to do. And I hope it makes money because Tom Brady has to recover that FTX loss somehow. Yes. Um. I'm guessing, I don't want to spoil the plot. I know you said a no-spoiler uh, review no. of this movie. Are the emotional, the quote, emotional notes you're talking about involving the ladies or involving Tom Brady? Well, you get a sprinkle of it with Tom Brady because there's this moment that he shares with Lily Tomlin right up, right before the comeback happens. Um, don't spoil and it. Don't spoil it. Not again, too many I'll details. I'm our, and it's tough. Um, so yeah, when <laughs> Lily Tomlin, when Rita Moreno or, you know, Jane Fonda have to play their, their golden girls archetypes, because that's where that correlation kind of happens is that you get Jane Fonda, who's like the sexy octogenarian, you get Sally Field. She's who Blanche. Plays, 
Yeah, she plays Blanche. Uh, <laughs> Sally Field is like the safe one who sort of discovers herself on this road trip. Uh, you get Re- Rita Moreno is goofy. I mean, we, we saw in the trailer that she has like Rose. she wears Guy Fieri's face and it's it's hilarious. It's a it was a, a ball busting scene. Um, and then uh, Lily Tomlin, who's like the main character, they just all know how to play Sophia. their beats. And, and you leave and again, you leave the theater thinking that was innocuous. I don't regret watching this movie. A, a touchdown of a film. How sad was it when Tom Brady chose football over Lily Tomlin in the end? Uh, that's, that's a tough one. Uh, it turns out that off. So in real life, he actually likes Sally field and oh. like a sort of romantic interest there. So wow. uh, that's where I kind of felt like Pierce okay, Brosnan's jealous. And at no point but, did, did but, this lose the like scope of reality to you when Tom Brady right, had no, romantic he, interest in Sally field. That, that, Lily that Tomlin didn't lose you in the plot. In, Lindley Tomlin, who was fantastic in Nashville like 50 years ago. Um, again, Alejandro, I, were I, I you surprised the when they came back and beat the Falcons in the Super Bowl, or did you know that was coming? We can't spoil that. For those that don't the, remember, the, they were down 28-3, and they come back and win yeah. and beat Matt Ryan and the Falcons in that Super Bowl. Were you surprised? The movie takes you on such a ride and convinces you that this is what actually happened leading up to the Super Bowl that by the time they're down 20 to three, I'm like, man, Tom Brady just kind of needs the right voice in his ear. And I hope someone can step up and do that for him so they can pull off this win that I don't know is going to happen. Alejandro, was there one negative thing that you can say about this movie? I'm really going to test your your uh, critic skills if you could change one thing about it, or was there one sequence was it long enough? or one thing maybe that just didn't quite <laughs> land for you? So the movie starts, it sets the tone really early <laughs> on, and this element didn't really work for me, but this movie literally begins with a music video. Um, it's it's Dolly Parton, uh, Belinda Carlisle, and Cindy Lauper singing the song about the movie. And in between the music video, it sort of shows you glimpses of the movie which kind of spoiled some elements for me. So um, I regretted watching the the music video that was forcefully inserted at the beginning. The runtime is an hour and 38 minutes. Was that too and short for to make you? up like 10 minutes of that. And it was, you think it was too short? Could they have gone the full two hours? Could this, should they have extended uh, by 22 minutes? Or was it perfect? Hey, did, any, did anyone win a couple more Super Bowls after that? I think we could see some sequels. That's true. We could. Alejandro, you're you're a good sport. Coming of age film in so many ways. You you did a good job uh, giving your side. I will also have to report back that I still will not be watching this movie, but I'm glad that you did and that you enjoyed it. You did an excellent job with this. I was was suspect when I saw this. I'm like, surely this is tongue in cheek. And then, I mean, you jump right out and you say you you fell in love. You're dead serious. I, I, I buy that you're serious, that you liked it. I certainly appreciate it. And no, there was this moment last night at midnight where I said, I could really either write 700 words about this movie or go to sleep. And I think when the time when the time came to step up and score, I, you know, well done. Touchdown. 80 for Brady. It's a masterpiece, according to Alejandro Avila, and you can read about it right now at Outkick.com, along with uh, many other things uh, that he will be posting for the site. Alib in our YouTube chat wants to, us to ask Alejandro uh-huh. to comment on if there's any level of nudity in this film. So yeah, did, uh, I think we they, said uh, goodbye to Alejandro. Did they recreate? Should the, we should we give any spoilers about that? Any nudity at all? No nudity. Oh. You can take your your family. It's a family film. You could, yeah, 
They didn't it's, recreate uh, the Edelman bed scene from the the selfie. From yeah, the, that was that was that Super Bowl yeah, too. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that was you good. Do, you do get to see one of these actresses dig their fingers into Edelman's beard, and I think that could have warranted like a 3D sort of conversion. We'll have to wait for the sequel to see that scene. Alejandro, yeah. thank you, man. Thank you, guys. Well done, Alejandro Avila. And Stephanie Odie is in studio with us, uh, putting up with uh, us as we break down <laughs> what 80 a, for what Brady. What an act to follow. Here from uh, a Big Ten Network reporter uh, with us here in Nashville in studio. Um, Stephanie, your thoughts on 80 for Brady and your excitement level for this film? I think it's a weird concept. It reminds me of, have you guys ever seen American Underdog? Uh, Kurt Warner story. I, no, I will not watch that either, but uh, I, I know see, I'm familiar with the work. I see yeah. some heads nodding, and my brother-in-law, I have to give him a shout-out, because he recommended this movie for me, and I thought it was awful. I watched it on a plane, because it was all about a love story. I mean, I wanted to know about his miraculous career. He was at a grocery store, and then he gets into the NFL. It was a remarkable career story of football, and it was just a giant love story, and it and honestly just made me not like the, their love story. It's a remarkable story and it's, it's very cute and she seems like a great person but it just made me resent it because it was it just made football the backstory. So they have this whole movie and then at the very end it's like an add-on scene. Like it, it had nothing to do with the whole story so it kind of reminds me of that where is this going to make us not love Brady as much? Like is this just going to be like you know, take a backseat of, you know, he had a great career and everything but adding a new element to it like this just it just feels like it's Forced and weird to me. You're waiting on the uh, actual Tom Brady movie about yes. Tom Brady's life, not the movie about the four 80-year-old women that go to see Tom Brady at the Super Bowl. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think I'd rather watch that, too. It's also like reverse Hollywood. Like, when you guys were asked, is there any nudity? I'm like, Tom Brady? But no. I mean, were, were we expecting, oh, like, I, 80-year-old woman? No, no, no. I, was th- I was thinking anyone. I mean, Gronk. <laughs> Julian Edelman. But I think Guy, Guy could Fieri. be the one to do it. <laughs> I mean, anyone could have taken their clothes off in this movie. I, was, I wasn't discriminating. <laughs> I was asking if anyone Say got, his name again. Guy Fieri. <laughs> That's how you pronounce it. He I pronounced know, it in the trailer that way, yeah. It's spelled Fieri, but it's Fieri. <laughs> now I'm interested to know your guys' take. I mean, I'm sure you guys would be willing to watch American Underdog. Not no. this one. Yeah, well, so I, I watched part of it because we had Kurt on the show. It's hard to get it. through. It's hard to get um, through. I watched what I needed to in order to ask him about some scenes with... Um, <laughs> You know some of his his coordinators and head coach, but that was pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Like I, no, I wouldn't go see it. I, I hadn't planned on going to see it. Right? Um, which so the hype level for this film? Which storyline of the Big Ten, Stephanie, is the most overhyped storyline to you right now? Is it the commissioner search? Is it Harbaugh if he's staying? If he's going? Is it Ryan Day is apparently on the hot seat if he loses to Michigan again? Which way would you turn there? Oh, I think that the biggest one would be who's going to be the next Big Ten commissioner because the other two, are, I think, are overdone. I don't think they're as serious as we think. Like, level one violations aren't as serious in NCAA now yeah. as they were previously. And Ryan Day on the hot seat, that's exclusive to Ohio State. It is just very hard to coach there. He still has a phenomenal record there. He's gone to playoffs. He's gone to the national champion or national uh, championship games. But he's on the hot seat because he lost to one team in particular twice. And it took Harbaugh several years. He never beat Urban Meyer. So for Ryan Day to be on the hot seat right now, it's understandable from Ohio State fan bases. I can understand why they would be mad. They just set the bar so high. But in reality, I think that Ryan Day has some time. But we saw how long Harbaugh had to get to his point, And now he's he's doing well at Michigan. But the NFL conversations there was, I definitely think he was very interested in going to the NFL. But was the NFL very interested in giving him an offer. And so that's where I thought the story died. Yes, we've always known that Harbaugh would love to go, especially with a looming violation that could potentially suspend games and recruiting has has been difficult. And 
there's just a lot of chaos going on with NIL and all that. So NFL just looks very favorable right now, but I don't think that the NFL returns the, the same thought. When you look back on Kevin Warren's tenure as commissioner, is he going to be remembered more for that blockbuster TV deal and adding UCLA and USC or more for trying to cancel the season during COVID? It depends on who you ask. I mean, I was on the ground in Columbus covering Ohio State, and it was just an uproar during that time because you bring in a guy. He was only there for two months when he took this position, and it was kind of a surprise. We all thought he was going to go with Jim Phillips, was going to be the, the strongest candidate to get that position as Big Ten commissioner. And then they turn, turn left, and he has a son playing at Mississippi State in the SEC. This was before he transferred to Michigan State but have the option to play that season. And then there's a lot of confusion at what's happening in those meetings. And there's tension between athletic directors because he wasn't familiar with them. He didn't have those pre-existing relationships. And there, yeah, there was a lot of upset. So I was covering protests with parents of these players. And I saw leadership from so many people around the Big Ten that was not in that commissioner position, which just really stood out. And we saw Justin Fields create a petition and got over half a million signatures. Well, ironically, that's where Kevin Warren's going now to the Bears. But we do know that he said that he had reached out to Justin when he was drafted and they have a great relationship. And I know Justin very well, and I know that he is one to rise above this. I think that's a very minuscule aspect to his move to the Bears. But there's a lot of things that happened during his only three years as the commissioner. He also got that blockbuster TV deal. And yes, that was significant. So the next commissioner won't have to deal with that. It's about seven years. But then you also look at expansion. We were all pretty sur surprised. And I know you guys talked about it early in your program, Texas and Oklahoma going over to the SEC. Well, he reacted well to that. He got big name programs in UCLA and USC. That built some more power to the Big Ten in case there's a looming you know, realignment coming or this mega conference that everyone's talking about. But he did redeem himself to an extent. But I mean, he started so poorly from from my standpoint, that that really stands out. But it, just looking at the, the cost it would have been to not play that season, it was far too detrimental in, in comparison to, to his new accolades. Jim Phillips of the ACC, uh, Gene Smith at Ohio State, a couple of the names that have surfaced. There's not been a lot out there. Are there other names we should mention for po the possibility of the job? And what do you think about some of these candidates and the likelihood they would even leave their current spot to be Big Ten commissioner? Yeah, well, like I just said, seven-year deal. This is a big TV deal, but I'm seeing some TV executives being names thrown around. You got uh, Kenny Carey from the big, uh, from um, an executive with the Big Ten. You also have Mark Silverman up with Fox. So those are names that are also being thrown around. But I do really think that they're going to focus more on someone more familiar at the college level on campuses and and has those relationships because the TV deal is is pretty managed for a certain amount of time. But yeah, like you said, I think Jim Phillips is going to be the strongest candidate. And I've spoken with some folks inside with the ACC, and he's interested in it. I know if they're going to talk to him, and I'm sure they will, he's, he's considering it. I don't even think his family has relocated out of Chicago, and he's got Big Ten roots. He was that front runner for the position when they went with Kevin Warren. And this, this search committee that they hired is actually the ones who hired him as the ACC commissioner. And you look at the state of the ACC with their TV deal stuck with ESPN, not getting as much money for their programs. And you know there, there's programs that are wanting to get in, out because it's just such a, a mess right now that the Big Ten looks very favorable for him. And I, I think that he'd be one to consider it. But also, you talked about Gene Smith over at Ohio State Athletic Director, who really stepped up during that 2020 season. He was talking with athletic directors in that year, trying to get a season to come, and meanwhile, being respectful of the Big Ten. But 
I, you know, I know that he said before Kevin Warren left that he is very happy with where he is at Ohio State. He just signed a one over a one and a half million dollar deal annually for the next four years, just last spring. And he's happy there. He's comfortable. He's also 67. So going through that next move. But I think the biggest thing for him is that he can still have a lot of influence from where he is at Ohio State. And he doesn't have to get involved with NCAA. And I think that if he did, he probably would want to distance from NCAA and go more towards this super conference. Because I know that he wants to get rid of divisions in the Big Ten and, and expand out and just not have to deal with the NCAA. So... I think he's very comfy. It's a cushy job. He said he'd be flattered, but ultimately I think he would stay. It's a massive hire for the conference because, and for college sports in general, uh, the landscape that we're in. Look, they're, they're, the Big Ten's relevant. They're number two at worst because of their TV contract and the brands that are in their conference and who they've added. Uh, but the overall leadership of the conference was head-to-head -head with the leadership of the SEC, and those two guys, Sankey and Warren, ran college sports. They stepped up when the NCAA took a step back, and they were really doing it before then. So I don't think I mean I don't think we can overemphasize who they choose to go toe to toe with the SEC to be like the the leadership element of the entire conference. One of the two most powerful people in college sports, essentially, when yeah, you take this job. But at mm -hmm. least like with the new TV deal, you could argue. I'm not buying it. You could argue that Warren was on the same plane yeah. as Sankey, and the next hire has to prove he can be, right? And I, that's that's the interesting element of it is the money involved is going to make things easier. It feels like Warren was the was the commissioner for 10 years with everything we're talking about. It was, what, three? <laughs> three and a half? I mean, it's, it's crazy to think about how quickly all of those things came together for him. Well, did you see what Greg Sankey said at the national championship? Parade. He he kind of threw a jab at Kevin Warren. Yeah, he saying, said, "I'm never going to be the CEO." Of the yeah, I'm not trying well, to basically get a better <laughs> I'm job. Joking. I'm he, he definitely. Yeah. Well, Greg Sankey's very a significant influence in, in college football and yeah. sports and college athletics altogether. But when he makes like a direct jab at, at you know Kevin Warren when he's leaving, I think that's really significant in what they're going to be looking for in the Big Ten commissioner because we saw Jim Delaney. He worked well with Mike Slive when when they were both in, in those prospective conferences. But then you know even when they would butt heads, they would get past that and work together. So clearly, you know, that may not have been significantly the case with Kevin Warren. So I do think this is just another reason to allude to the fact that they're really going to go with someone with the TV executives being thrown around. I think they're actually going to go to someone who's has familiarity on on campuses, has those existing relationships, because not to mention there's 12 presidents, new presidents in all these programs in the Big Ten. So there's a lot of turnover that's why I think Jim Phillips is is the guy. I mean, he he was the athletic director at Northwestern. He knows this conference very well. And I think he's a good advocate for the student athlete as well as being able to make those business-minded deals. And, and especially with expansion looming. And there's a lot of obstacles for the Big Ten to overcome. They don't have that media deal, which brings in a lot of money. But you have lawsuits coming about and NIL. And you're going to want someone who doesn't need to be caught up to speed on that with now that you're, you're having, you know, the Labor Commission who's and people wanting conference to or Congress to get involved with this because will will student athletes be now employees? And there's, you know, Johnson over at Vanderbilt wanting to to have a, a lawsuit because he wants to get paid as he's being coached under these uh, at the university. So I think just from a revenue and a financial standpoint into the, the football landscape and all sports in general, you really need to look at how that will be assessed. So really having the perspective from the campus level, but as well as the financial impact beyond. Ohio State, Michigan, always fierce, no doubt about it. It's in a bit of a not weird but different spot right now. Michigan's won two in a row. They've got the upper hand with Jim Harbaugh over Ryan Day, no doubt about that. 
Then they both make the playoff, and Ohio State has the better showing of the two, both lost, but has the better showing in that playoff game. But now you've got Jim Harbaugh flirting with the NFL, uh, NCAA violations. He's got an offensive coordinator committing computer crimes on campus. Uh, What is the state of that football rivalry right now between the two, Steph? I mean, they're always going to be juggernauts, but looking at Michigan from their standpoint, Harbaugh for the NFL, and I think that's going to get tiresome. And we even saw Adam Schefter come out and say that that was his last shot with the Broncos. And I, and I even heard from you know previous conversations that when he was meeting with the Vikings last year and we had this whole dance and, and that offseason was that the more that they met with him, the less interested that these teams got and the less likely that opportunity was going to come. So when the reports were coming out that he's definitely leaving, I didn't buy it. I'm like, yeah, he'll, he'll leave, but will the NFL take him? So he had, he had you know, Michigan to fall back on great you know a great program to fall back on but he did they stuck with him they had patience and he even took a pay cut when his contract was up for renewal so you see the difference between Ohio State and Michigan in that two losses which is a fraction of what Harbaugh has had against Ohio State during his tenure and he's already in the hot seat Harbaugh has had the patience from from the fans and he actually has developed a great program though recently we've been seeing some concerns in recruiting he's getting top names but he's not closing them but he's able to get you know use the transfer portal and he's really built you know a great o-line for example and you know they love to the run the ball and and designating that strong offensive or uh, on the offense and then you also have blake quorum returning which was huge from their nil standpoint which has also been a huge concern at michigan but over at ohio state they they got their nil in place and they're they're able to get recruits especially brian hartline who has become a national name, especially with the way he can recruit wide receivers. And not to mention, they're getting all of those guys back except for Jackson Smith and Jigba, who didn't play much this past season. But yeah, you're getting that full room back. And now Ryan Day is willing to turn over the keys to the, to the offensive play calling. And he, we're going to see him call some plays in the spring game. So that will be really exciting to see how he's going to utilize his targets and, and continue to expand that offense. But also, you have a quarterback competition going on and everyone's going to think Kyle McCord is going to be the front runner there because we've seen him get a start. He, he beat Akron in, in a phenomenal game and not to mention he played high school with Marvin Harrison Jr. That dynamic also helps. But Devin Brown is a strong name to consider too. These are both five stars. I mean, we've seen Ohio State, that quarterback room is, is so strong that their backups are getting starts at other programs. But yeah, this is a, a true competition, I think. And we saw at the Peach Bowl over in Atlanta, you know, he was throwing darts uh, in the open media practice. So definitely someone to be uh, on, on, the, on, the, on the watch list. And I know coaches are really interested in seeing how this goes. So this is going to be a conversation that goes on up in, until the spring. So that'll be exciting to see. The only other thing with Ohio State is, you know, Jim Knowles, he takes over the defense and there's still concerns about how they play against big, uh, great teams and, you know, trying to prove those explosive plays. But I don't really put that onto him. I think that it was more so it's not his guys and it's, you know, the execution there. It wasn't so much play calling. But seeing how he can get that turned around because he definitely has the experience and the track record to prove he's definitely the guy to do it. So seeing where that evolves, but seeing where these two are right now, I think this is the rivalry is back on. It, you know, after decades of seeing Ohio State just dominate, it's back into its truest form. And so that'll be exciting to see, especially with the rise of all these other conferences and, and seeing how they're all going to expand into the 12-game playoff. That would be definitely exciting to see. And hopefully we'll see a, a post-game, a, a playoff game between these two teams that we missed out on this past season. Stephanie Ode has been our guest here in studio at 6th and Peabody. Uh, you can follow her at Steph Ode on social. Uh, great to see you. Appreciate you coming in. 
Yeah, thanks, guys. It's about Co- time. Coming up, absolutely. Coming up, what we're talking about on Monday. We'll fill in the blank for you next on Outkick 360. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wrapping up what's been a fun show. Fun Fleetwood week. Mac. Bring us Outkick back. Outkick 360 across the How Outkick many Network. Fleetwood Mac references can I make today? We had the Jim Irsay one. Yes. I just listened to a podcast about Fleetwood Mac, so they're fresh on the, the mind. Christine McVie. Hitmaker. The most underrated member of Fleetwood Mac. Christine McVie. Is this just like uh, a vibe you have with Colin that he's playing, or did you mention that you were watching that? Colin and I have a vibe that we don't want to talk about, Hutton. You Better and I have our own vibe. Oh. But it's just something, it's, it's unspoken. Unspoken, you know? but like, it's one of those things upon, that, like, like, he reads my mind, I read his. Yeah. I didn't have to say play Fleetwood Mac in the last segment. He just played it. Perfect. And I know exactly what chord he's hitting. <laughs> it's like watching great actors like Tom Brady and Lily Tomlin go toe to toe. You two have a great rhythm. Where you just know what the other one's doing. You feed off the other's energy. It's like an improv session. And, you know, great actors like Tom Brady know exactly what I'm talking about. I think we're on Monday we're discussing what Derek Carr says at the Pro Bowl. We already are, but I'm saying, like, from the actual game, which, I mean, watch it if you want. Many of you do. Uh, I'm, I'm paying attention to what he says about the situation with the Raiders. I think that's a headline Monday. I think that the headline is going to be whether or not we actually watched and or liked this version of what they're doing with the Pro Bowl as opposed to what was a two-hand touch game before. Yeah. Basically I, the same game. It's a shorter field. I, I, I will raise my hand and say I pitched this. I'd rather have this yeah. than the two-hand touch game. So now I get to prove it. <laughs> I'm going to watch a lot of it, and I'm going to see what, what is different, if I liked it or not. I think it'll, I mean, I think it'll be fun. Yeah. What sucks is... I They've mean, got the right people involved. One of the quarterbacks threw two touchdowns and three picks. And they're representing the AFC in the Pro Bowl, right? Great job by Huntley to get his name out there and you get to learn about him. But, I mean, he also gets the accolade, which is just odd to me. We'll back on Monday to recap. You know what's not odd? We made it again. And we're headed to the Super Bowl next week. We made it to the end of the week again. Not odd at all.